So <clears throat> we begin our sitting formal practice by simply noticing what is, what is now. Maybe you feel the contact of your body against the, the mat you're sitting on, the contact of the hands touching each other, the contact of your clothes against your skin, The contact of the cool air in the room against your body. <coughs> you may be aware of of a, a particular mood like a kind of the weather of your mind maybe it's a clear sky maybe you feel a bit cloudy <laughs> There may be lots of thoughts, or just a few. Ambling through the mind. Forget about practicing, forget about meditation right now. Just don't have this kind of pressure on yourself. <coughs> You are meditating, you don't need to think about it. <coughs> you are doing the practice right now, so you don't need to carry the burden of having to tell you that you have to do that. Just enjoy sitting, beautiful early morning, feeling the the happiness just of spending 10 days devoted to the Dhamma, Buddha Dhamma, teaching of the Buddha, devoted to cultivating wakefulness, ethic, devoted to the precept, to the ethical standard as laid out by the Buddha, A sense of appreciation for oneself for having the the courage, the the strength and love for 
the pass that you find here at Amaravati. So sense of appreciation for generating enough energy just to stay sometimes very uncomfortably on the floor and to explore the experience of presence in the in the now with its with its kind of a happy moment and fearful moment and pleasant and not so pleasant moment and so on <clears throat> just to have a direct access to the instability of the mind to the point when one doesn't have any illusion that the mind is not a safe refuge. Our refuge is not in the mind. Our refuge is in the mind of the aspect in yourself that you realize is aware and conscious. He knows when you are distracted, the part of the mind that is clearly mirroring the mind itself, when it's confused and unhappy or ecstatic and joyful, and knows also the instability, the lack of <clears throat> solidity of these experiences It's very important in one's life as a, as someone who has really, um, who's dedicating quite a bit of uh, one's life, the time in one's life to turn the attention towards Dhamma, towards meditation, towards the development of Sila or loving kindness, Metta. It's very important to have a, often, to often cultivate a deep sense of appreciation for your life. Consciously, 
spring up into one's heart. The goodness of your life. Our Mara's, our friend's Mara, <clears throat> that mind which is very good at making you forget the goodness of your mind, the goodness of your life, the forgetting of all the good things that you have encountered through your life all the blessings that you have received through your life. All the support, the kindness of other people. It's not something that comes naturally because we don't know ourselves and we don't really know we think we know, but we don't act sometimes in a such a way that enables the confidence in our understanding of the mind to support the mind, to give it strength and to give it good food, food for the heart, as Ajahn Chah used is to call it food for the heart. And I think all of us know what's good for the heart. But it's very easy to let it to let it pass by and not really reflect more deeply what is it that's going to nurture, support, help, gives confidence to myself so that what is good and happy in my life can actually inform my life rather than the part that just sink into depression, despair, and misery, even though sometimes we can't help it. It's not like we are in charge or in control of our the weather of our mind. We feel sometimes totally out of control. Like life has a great potential for make us feel inadequate and unhappy. But now, with the retreat you have, you have participated in, you have a glimpse, which you have had probably many retreats, during many retreats, and many, many years of practice, as some of you have had. A glimpse of the energy and the effort it takes just to bring happiness to our life. The self-program is very limited because it's always about me. A me that is unstable and 
untrustworthy. But your practice of Dharma takes you beyond me. This is when the joy begins to appear, when we stop living our life on the on the program of self, me. Me is not there's nothing bad about me, it's just not terribly satisfactory. It's limited. It's, it's, it's kind of, it, it run, it runs on fear, it runs on worry, anxiety, it runs on creating a future that can be fearful and unpredictable and, and uh, it runs on the hope of keeping, being able to control everything, including the future. Basically, it runs on programs that are not particularly cheerful or even <coughs> helpful. So the path of practice is what takes you beyond the world of me world, the I world, the self world, so that you come to a place of experience the space and the joy of having options. You're not stuck in one program anymore. You have the option of moving in the world beyond me and mine and I and them and we and against I and so on. And to start Truly giving your life a chance to grow, a chance to blossom, a chance to cultivate the confidence in that which is truly good without fear. This is a great blessing. Buddha used the word punya for merit, but it's also blessing. And remember what I said last night, you know, punya, do not fear punya, monks. <coughs> punya is another word for happiness, the, the ability to do what is good, what is generous, joyful what brings happiness into my world, into my I world, you know, what, how this world, which is, you know, this mind which yeah, hasn't reached full liberation yet, how can I kind of use this life to nurture the good. To let go of that which causes and is a source of unhappiness. And to develop, cultivate, trained and 
help the mind to stay confident and trusting that there is a way forward, a way of transformation, a way of turning my life into a, a field of blessings. Not just a sangha, which is a field of blessings, but also in your daily life. You can contemplate what does it mean to be a field of blessings. A field of happiness and peace. Now you can go away from Amaravati with a lovely med medicine kit, which you can help. That can help you to diagnose what's happening to this mind, heart. You don't have to carry this in your mind. You don't need a medicine kit when you're not sick. You're fine. You don't need to think about the sickness of your mind, the delusion, the, uh, the ignorance of the mind. You don't have to think about it. You can diagnose when it's becoming apparent in your mind that you need some help. And in the meantime, when the mind is just strong enough to support itself, then you can just cultivate the sense of joy, happiness, thankfulness for life. Gratefulness. The sense of gratitude is a very beautiful feeling. I've seen a number of people being completely transformed from complaining and discontent about their life to turning to that which they can feel grateful for, even if it is only one or two things out of thousands. 
that gratitude is a great medicine. Because in a way, this is already the nature of our heart, human heart. It, it is touched. As soon as the heart is touched, you, that sense of gratitude comes quite naturally. It's not foreign to us. It's natural. But many things keep hindering its capacity to manifest in our lives sometimes. We forget it. And instead of gratitude, we get embroiled in discontentment about who we are, what we do, the way that our life is. We focus on discontentment. It's not that even we, the habits of the mind, focus on discontentment and what is missing. What, what is not good enough yet. There is always room for improvement in life. We can't deny that. We can always find room for improvement. But our desire for improvement often bypass what needs to be done. Improvement comes quite naturally with letting go of what you feel needs to be improved. You can just let it go and move on. Often we want to improve ourselves and the cause of this desire is rooted in feeling negative about ourselves. We want to improve because we feel we're not good enough. Instead of appreciating what's good right now and naturally you find that improvement comes naturally when you Keep letting go of desire and thoughts that are negative, judgmental, critical. Naturally improve anything that's negative and unskillful, what we know is not skillful and kind and disrespectful, angry, <clears throat> frustrated, and so on. We know that already. We know they are not good states of mind, but we that's all we know sometimes. We don't really have options. So now, 
we can just appreciate the fact that there is another way, there's a way of habits which can be good and bad, and then the way of awakening, reflecting, contemplating, pondering our life and help ourselves to open new vistas on life, open new possibility of developing the heart, mind, into a field of blessing, into goodness, into kindness, loving kindness. And if you think that people might make a fool of you by just turning to the Dharma instead of Avidja, well, just keep it quiet. You don't need to claim this on roof of your house that you're becoming a good person people will laugh at you so you don't need to tell everybody just you can talk to your good friend about what you're doing in your practice most people don't understand we are now own often we feel isolated perhaps because we don't have many people who understand us So when we take refuge, like taking refuge, when you took the precept, you took refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. When you take the five precepts, you also take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And these refuges are just words when we recite them in such a way, but in terms of experience, taking refuge in the mind that is aware and mindful and heedful and awake. That's a refuge in the Buddha. Refuge in the Dharma is using the teaching of the Buddha to inform your life rather than using me habit programs. You use now, you can use a teaching that you've known, you know, that you have practiced, that you have developed and cultivated, and you discovered the result of practice, how good it is. Using the teaching of the Buddha to inform your way of life, to inform your mind, to inform your actions.
to inform your you to just continue to be patient, to be really patient with the difficulty of uh, your life, the difficulty of an unruly mind, unstable and not yet trustworthy. A trustworthy mind is a mind that's been well-trained, that has gone through the you know, that gone to the path of practice and is knows itself well. It's like a mind that knows itself well is a trustworthy mind because then your speech is trustworthy. Your actions are trustworthy. People can trust you. They feel confident with you. But you notice that one of the quickest ways to forget all this is to go back into the program of me not getting it right in its widest sense. Me not capable of this and that because of so many defects and so many bad things I've done in the past. I tend to say, just forget about that. Just, just start now, start anew, start again. And let those memories be handled by the path of practice. The path of practice is telling you the past is a memory. The future is a wonderful open space with no agenda yet, except the one that you create in your mind. You can choose, you have agendas or you don't have agendas. You're free, we are free to do what we want with, with our chitta, the source of our world. And we have to double-check how we relaxed ourselves, relax ourselves, how we bring ease of being in ourselves, how we deal with stress, how we deal with our unhappy mind. Sometimes what we do is not always helpful. It's important to d double check the result. Are there things that lead me to a better place in myself, or are there things that lead me to a place of feeling guilty and remorseful, feeling regret, and so on?
we are reminded <clears throat> some teaching make big brings that up very often like that our life is incredibly precious and we never know when it's going to be terminated we never know when our life is going to end so when you get really bogged down with a lot of anxiety about the future to train your mind to come back into here now and say, I don't know. You know, I could die. So why why do I have to fill up my mind with the future when I don't even know what's going to happen? I really appreciated the teaching of Achen Sumedho, which was act as sort of demanded from us that we check that mind that's constantly hovering into the future that we don't know anything about yet. And it's a training because you de you keep, you know, you have to bring back the mind into the present, which is reality now. The future is unknown, it's not calm yet. We can plan it to a certain extent, but if you start worrying that's not going to happen, then you worry about nothing, really. You're just worrying about kind of fluffy thoughts that just... have no no power, no no weight. They're not the future hasn't come yet. Why worry about something that we know nothing about? But one thing we can know is that am I mindful right now that I'm projecting myself into an unknown future that worries me right now? make me fearful and anxious and so on when I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. So when you come back into the present moment and you're back into the a reality, the reality of your life, instead of the taking refuge in an anxiety and fearfulness and worry, we take refuge in mindfulness heedfulness, and our ability to see the mind directly in the now. And then from that source, that clear source, we can actually start maybe, you know, organizing our life or doing something with it. But not from worry, anxiety, and fear, but for a, maybe a clearer, sense. Maybe you just don't know. You acknowledge, I don't know. But life knows for you. You don't need to worry about it. Just keep on your commitment to what is really good, what is really skillful and kind. At least for yourself. Kind for yourself. If you can't be kind to others, you start with this person here who lives with you all the time. And then, lo and behold, when you can be really empathetic and kind to this person, then instead of projecting your anger inside, you can suddenly find the mind is naturally inclined to relate to a human being rather than projections and ideas and imaginations based on 
causes that are not particularly supportive of happiness or well-being or balance or harmony in ourselves. So when you take refuge in the Buddha, it's really taking refuge in resting in the in the now, and from there you can think about many things. You can plan the future even, but in the now, with a a place of clarity, wakefulness, and peace, rather than from where, from that place you can see your mind fretting and unpeaceful. It's quite magic, really, that we can be in two worlds at the same time. We can see the world of restlessness and agitation and confusion, and we can so also acknowledge clearly that that which sees those emotions and feelings and states of mind is calm, is centered, peaceful, quiet, like having a quiet witness, mirror. Many words we can conjure up to describe this quality of mirror of our mind, the witnessing, knowing. The more you use this refuge, the, gr the stronger it gets. So don't forget to use this refuge of wakefulness because it really grow by being, by being made use of. That's what I remember noticing so clearly. The more I have the ability to return to the present moment or now, to the source of the mind, the more it does it by itself, naturally. Because you know this is a place where there is no danger there. You can see danger, clearly, but it's a place that can enable you to see clearly if there, is, if there are dangers or not. So, For a long time, the mind hasn't reached a level of equanimity, balance. You have to bear with a mind that's still quite polarized. We're not bipolar, maybe, but it naturally acts like this. You get miserable, and that condition maybe next moment can be very happy in contrast with the miserable mind. And then when you're very happy, the mind naturally goes into a, a not-so-happy state. 
in contrast, it's interesting. The higher you go with your happiness, sometimes the more like, the lower you sink in maybe unhappy states. So eventually, by noticing this up and down, ups and downs, by noticing the automatic movement of the mind to rejoice and then to be feeling miffed and, dis and disappointed, up and down, it's just the mind doing its thing, it's, that's what it knows. The more you see them, the more equanimity grows. It doesn't grow by just becoming a, an equanimous persona, but that doesn't last very long. And if you're attached to being an equanimous persona, <laughs> if you prepare to be tested, life is very alive. You get tested. Okay, you want to be an equanimous person? Let's see. Let's see if you are really ready to be an equanimous person. And you get situation when suddenly you lose it completely. But then the equanimity that you were interested in, it's just simply like a a good friend that reminds you, okay, maybe I'm, I need to be more mindful of this aspiration to be more equanimous, so that when the ups and downs come, I can just observe them. The equanimity is here just being the witness. Witness is always equanimous, there's no problem there. There's nobody... There, you don't find anybody being witnessing or being in a mirror or anything. There's nobody there. I never find anybody, personally. So the you you're feeling doesn't take place there. But you can see the ups and downs of your mind. And we can easily forget the body. We make our mind, we can make our mind happy. You just watch a good film, talk to friends, have a good time with your friend, and so on. We can make the mind happy quite quickly by getting what we want, by doing what we want to do, by basically satisfying our desires. The mind can be temporary quite happy. But the thing we forget is the body. We don't really pay much attention to the well-being of our bodies. To bring a sense of the feeling, to let the feeling of happiness course through our body, physical body. We can carry around our body like a, like if we were dragging a bag of flesh not really realizing that this body is, is a mirror often of what goes on in our mind. Instead of reading it like that, we tend to feel perhaps 
we judge our body as being a really a useless burden that stops us from when it's sick that stops us you know we feel upset because it stops us from doing what we want so instead he can start maybe a, a whole regimen of exercise and maybe a diet to facilitate your digestion and your and the nourishment of your body you can even if you forget it for weeks on end you can still remember okay maybe my body needs some support my some help going walking eating things that is not too difficult to digest not being obsessed with the mind wanting a body a certain way all the time. Our thoughts are good thoughts, but when they go on overdrive, it starts generating stress. So we have to be careful. So in this very moment, right now, as you are, your intention is to practice formal meditation, check how are you sitting, are you, is there any sign that you are awake or not? In yourself, are you aware whether you are awake or not? Are you aware that your, your posture is actually supporting wakefulness or not? Stop now. Don't wait. Are you aware of the feeling? Are you averse to things? Happy? Feeling a pleasant sensation in the body or an aversive mood? Just notice that. You stop now. <laughs> 